0: Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am, as always, your host, Doug Winters. Today is episode 62, and I am delighted to bring you a truly refreshing conversation with Chef Mark Weber, who owns a company called On the Mark Events in Stamford, Connecticut. As you're about to hear, Mark is far more than a chef. He is a groundbreaking innovator and creative problem solver full of imagination and bold new ideas. Let's jump right in and meet a true force of nature, Chef Mark Weber. Mark Weber. Hey, Doug. How's it going? How are you? I'm great. Great. Thanks so much for doing this.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Let me just close my door one
0: sec. Sure. So, Jim McManus, huh? Yeah, I
1: love Jim. I call myself a disciple.
0: He says he's a disciple of yours. He said, you know, like, you, really? Yeah, he says, like, you mentor each other. That's
1: pretty cool. Like,
0: it was very interesting. When you come right down to it, he says, you know, I'm a table and chair rental guy. So when I approach people and say, you know, we could have so much more of a relationship than that, they say,
1: you know, how? Oh, did he bring that up?
0: Just now, we were just having this conversation. I said, how did you guys hook up?
1: Oh, it was interesting. So basically, what happened was they restructured. And they got rid of my rental rep and they gave me to a different rental rep. And I'm not really a rule follower. <laughs> I don't really look at obstacles in my way is like a thing. I just figure out how to get around yeah. them. So um, they put me with somebody who was more of a rule follower and it didn't really work out so well because. I didn't, I did like, why can't we do this? And she'd be like, Well, we just can't do that. I'm like, well, why? And then <laughs> so Alan was a CFO of Party Rental, put me with Jim and he said, to Mark, Jim's gonna help you grow your business. He's he's really helped a lot of other businesses grow. And I thought to myself, I said, I'm paying you. How he grow my business? But I was a naive 27-year-old and probably overly cocky. And you know, Jim is a source of incredible knowledge. He's a great friend. He's an incredible mentor. He's a great weaver. He calls himself a weaver and he, and he is because he weaves people together in, in truly incredible ways. I love that expression.
0: He said that on the podcast, he, you know, calls himself he's a dot connector and a weaver. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's so much cooler and more genuine than saying, you know, I network a lot.
1: Right. Exactly. No, totally. Really funny.
0: I, I put something on Instagram that got more hits than anything I ever got. It was just when they had the jobs report and they said that 44 million people had applied for unemployment, 14 million from the hospitality industry.
1: Yeah.
0: I said, holy shit.
1: It's that big. So, But a hospitality, it's like 150 billion. It's huge. I just don't know how big events are within that. So what I know about
0: you is this. CIA. Yep. For, for those people not in the event industry stands for Culinary Institute of America yeah that you are now a fellow there, right yeah, and who started this company called on the Mark so you couldn't be that shy, you named it for yourself it's like Doug winter's music, you know
1: I'll give you the story about that yeah
0: <laughs> oh really <laughs> when I was, when i so cooking was your passion right as a, as a kid
1: yeah, my mom traveled a lot, and I would cook dinner for my my dad and my brother kind of turn them into guinea pigs. But I started thinking back professionally when I was 15. I was in private Hebrew day school, and then I went to private school in Rye, and I was pretty severely ADD. Where'd you go to? Um... I went to Rye Country Day. I was okay. there for two years. My brother was like the commensurate Rye student. He took like eight APs, wow. you know, went, to, went to UPenn, dual degree, went to MBA, Columbia, like very strong academic. Yeah, yeah. I was the the opposite. I was a terrible student and i didn't really care about things i didn't really care about (laughs) so when
0: like math and science
1: (laughs) when the teacher was like do this i'd be like why you know like when am i ever gonna like use biology i'm not gonna be a scientist like i don't really care and now i have to get c's and my mom would be like why am i spending all this money for school when you're not really getting anything out of it
0: especially following your big brother.
1: I think I just, that's all we knew. And I was probably scared to go anywhere else because I was like overly sheltered. She ended up making this like very difficult decision much to my dismay because I was really upset about it to put me into this public school in Stanford. And when we did that, I had a lot more time on my hands. And so I started cooking professionally the summer of sophomore year. So after sophomore year, when I was transitioning from private school to public school, and then in public school, I ended up Every every Wednesday, I would take an internship at the Sheridan Hotel, and I would just like work in the banqueting department. Oh wow! It was a brand new school; it had only been been around for um, about a year. It really, academically, wasn't where it probably should have been. I basically left my backpack in the car <laughs> after school for like all of junior and senior year, and I worked. I would I would you know wake up, go to school, leave school at two thirty, go directly to the Sheridan. I'd run the hotel, like the the restaurant. And the um, room service by like, kitchen line till 10 p.m. I go home, go to bed, do it all again. Oh wow! And I loved it. Like I was 16 years old, so the other chefs were pretty like um, fatherly, for lack of a better term. They were very supportive. Um, I mean, they used to, you know, again, they beat up on me, but I took it always pretty well. Like you know, like I, a
0: big brother, more yeah, like. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You used the term kitchen line. What do you mean? The line is generally defined by where the hood is. And so underneath the hood, you have the various equipment, like the stoves and the ovens and the fryers or the grills or whatever else. The chef is always gonna be the person in command, right? You have a commander and then you have troops. And I started out as a troop and then I ended up as, as more of the commander. In high school. Yeah, I was 18 and by the time, you know, I was, I left the minute before I went to the CIA. It, it, it's also like a great, it's a great place for somebody who is ADP. Like, I'm able to move a lot. Like I can have a couple things going like, You know, when you're on the line making dish after dish after dish, and you get into a rhythm, it's the best feeling. Like three hours will go by in 10 minutes, the whole world stops, and all you can think about is like just putting out that food. It's a rush in a way that nothing else is to me. My chicken was in the oven, I was making pasta on the stove, my burger was in the broiler, you know, with the cheese melting, like everything was happening, you know, and you just feel like this really amazing sense of accomplishment. And you just did again, you're getting this rhythm and it's just, it's just like fantastic. I love it. I was signed up for, well, the quote unquote for it, the bachelor's degree. I ended up leaving after the associate's degree. My mom really wanted me to get a hospitality degree. So I went to New York Institute of Technology. Okay, And I was there for about a year and a half and I had finished all the in-person courses and I was doing great. I had like all these, they had a, a quotient of the courses that you had to complete were virtual or distance learning. And basically, once that happened, my grades went from like A's to C's. And I started getting some really awesome opportunities. It was like 2000, 2007. And so I started really losing focus in school. And I ended up dropping out of college um, before finishing my my bachelor's degree. And I started doing some private shopping work. And I started doing some like small scale catering. Nobody in my social situation ever became a chef or a caterer. I was used to making $7 an hour working in a restaurant. <laughs> but I got 25 bucks working at somebody's house. It was amazing. And it was great for the customers too, because I mean, I think I did a pretty good job. I was def- I'm was i definitely, like a, I'm an overachiever and I really want to, but I'm very, my book says that like out of my constant desire to make those around me happy, a, a great, a company much greater than I ever thought possible was born.
0: Oh, that's from beginnings.
1: Yeah. From beginnings. Yeah.
0: I got to get a hold of that. Joy mentioned that to me and then we'll send you one. Okay. You got it. Is it essentially your life story? Or is it more like a cookbook or Um, both?
1: It's both. It's called beginnings, how the party started. And it's basically the first decade of on the mark. Oh, okay. It's also 50 hors d'oeuvre recipes and, and cocktails. So the idea is it's like, everything is the beginnings, beginnings of a party, beginnings of my life and the company. So, yeah. First yeah, uh, but yeah so my mom was incredibly supportive throughout this whole process because and as a parent you know young parent I question myself all the time whether I could have made the made the same decision she made
0: so when my kids were really little I was out of the house three nights a week most of the time they never saw me on the weekends never saw me right. on a holiday never saw me on New Year's Eve but if there was a family wedding or something like that it was like either I played it or I didn't right. go. <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> like know? me either I'm catering it At least for me, in order to cater, I don't have to actually be cooking anymore, at least whereas maybe for you, you have to actually play.
0: Yeah, Um, exactly. All right. So so how did you graduate from chef to entrepreneur?
1: I, I think I knew what I didn't want. I think I knew that I didn't want to work in a restaurant because, again, I was 21 or 22 at the time. And I was like, I want to be able to go to my kids' soccer games when I grow up. I want to be able to shut down and being in control of my schedule and, and being in a restaurant didn't really allow that because if you were closed one day and somebody showed up, they just thought you went out of business and that was it. Yeah. So I kind of knew that I wanted more flexibility. And the thing about our business for your business too and the events business, it's very exponential. Like, you know, when you're, a, I always say to people, if you're like a, an electrician or a plumber and you fix somebody's, you know, light switch or toilet, nobody really knows, right? You could do a great job fixing that toilet and nobody has any clue. Right. Whereas, like in our business, you do a great job. Two hundred people just saw your performance. <laughs> that's right. And they're like, "Holy crap, I need that guy at my party." you know so yeah, that's basically, you know it's a very organic process trying to grow a business in this industry. And you know it's hard to break into, but once you do break into it, if you do a great job, I think it's pretty easy to grow it. And so, and like, we obviously worked really hard and had to exceed a lot of expectations. And I have a, another customer of mine who says, satisfied customers don't refer. Only, only like, you know, people whose expectations you you, you exceed refer. They're the ones who, like, turn-. people who really scream your brand from the rooftops. So like, they're the people who, when somebody says, I want to have a caterer party, I said, no, you have to use this guy. Don't even think about using anybody else, right? This is your guy. Yeah. And only somebody who's, like, super oversatisfied would do that, right? Otherwise, right. they the I got a guy He was okay, you know, yeah. did what we were supposed to. You know, I got a guy. Fight for you. Yeah, I got a guy if you want, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so I started doing private shopping, basically, I would show up at somebody's house with these two briefcases full of spoons and whisks and spatulas, and I bought with my first, I was always reinvesting. So even like my first paycheck, I took all that money. I remember the first time I bartended, I took all the money and spent it on bartending school and I never bartended again. <laughs> the next thing I bought, I did a party, I took all that money and I went, to, I went to Bed Bath & Beyond, which was not smart, but you know, my grandmother says education's expensive. And I, I, went to, I went to Bed Bath & Beyond and I bought like all these spoons and tongs and put them in these two briefcases. And I bought a bunch of pots and when I go to people's houses, I would bring my things with me because they didn't always have stuff. So the way right. I used to run my business was I would say, pay me 30 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour to cook. Here's the receipts for your food and i had it was like no way to lose you're basically just buying paying for my time right um, oh, so you give them
0: the shopping list or, or they give you the shop, or they give you money I would for just shopping buy it on
1: hand in the receipt right okay so if i said okay here's the menu they would say yeah this is what we want to eat i'd go to the store spend 250 dollars in groceries hand them the receipt and they pay me for it plus whatever oh okay
0: so you didn't have to bring your own spices and your own things like that
1: right i would just buy it all, basically yeah that's cool yeah it would be okay well can you cook for my family and then it was like well can you cook for my friend and then it was like okay well can you cook for my my son's graduation and then it's i'm on the board of this charity can you you know can you give us a bid for our gala and it was just you know very oh, wow and that's when i was at nyit and i remember putting together a proposal for a 220 person gala at a synagogue Holy And I was like, I was in the middle of some class. I don't remember. I wasn't paying attention. Like, you know what? I'm just not (laughs) here anymore. Like, I'm not in school. I have all these. I was looking at doing a cooking school with this investor. And I I just was like, my mind was elsewhere. I mean,
0: because you're doing what you really went to college to do.
1: I got to cook and I started seeing some semblance of a path. And I think that actually thinking about this now, because I haven't really thought about this, but Mm -hmm. I'm always looking at new business opportunities and there's always things happening so At the end, think about what did i do today you know like and i'll go to think of all the meetings i did none of which actually generated any profit or anything but like they're all just opportunities that i have to follow through and and this is almost the same thing i started doing back then so i guess i started to answer your question and i didn't really realize this until we had this conversation right now but i probably mm-hmm. started becoming an, an entrepreneur in you know whatever class i was in at nyit um, when I was 20, 20 years old, because I started evaluating opportunities back then and risk reward, deciding like how to spend my time basically. And, and what, what should I really be focused on? Which is the exact same thing I'm doing right now.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: 15 years later.
0: So basically you were by definition an off premise catering service because you were literally going with these two suitcases full of spoons and pots and ladles. When you go into someone's house, you were literally off premise. People weren't coming to your shop.
1: Exactly. And it was a little bit of a blurred line between private chef and off premise caterer, but yeah, that's basically what I was doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, that's interesting. If you're a private chef, do you have to hire servers or that's not-
1: I mean, I was very lucky because I was 20 years old and everybody I went to high school with and everybody I went to college with was very eager to work. You know, so I had a pretty strong role in actual life. <laughs> available labor.
0: So when did you decide to incorporate or, or start this as a as an official
1: business? Two thousand six. I was talking to my brother who was in branding at the time, and he said, This is this is the answer to your question about on the mark. I said, Bush, I named my company. And he said, Well, you want to name it something with your name in it so people know that you're associated with it. I was like, Like what? And he said, Something like I don't know on the mark something stupid not like that I, that's that's dumb but like <laughs> something like that and we started going around with like different mark words and whatever and i was like hey, i think i like it and so we ended up incorporating with on the mark so that's the story about the name <laughs> okay that's good, so branding like donnie deutsch kind of branding he was at a company called future brand okay. and they did like consulting for branding for big companies.
0: does he work with you now or is he still doing that
1: no, we've never worked together. Although I think we could be successful together, but yeah. unfortunately never
0: have. So you got this going and word of mouth is really great. Yep. And so On The Mark is becoming a big name in-
1: Now we're a bigger name, but at the time, you know, it was like, I was cooking out of my parents' garage, transporting it to places in my, my Subaru station wagon. Subaru Forest
0: is the best car ever.
1: Yeah, I had a WRX because okay. you know, like, <laughs> I'm a car guy and my dream to always have a WRX. But yeah, I mean, that's how it started. And then I, I took out my first employee. I built my kitchen now in 2007. April 2008, I finished it. Market collapsed. Oh, this was, and it was literally your parents' garage? I got the company to like six figures out of my parents' garage. And piles were like falling off their backsplash. I had refrigerators all over the house. I had freezers. I mean, it was just like a total mess. And um, <laughs> and they allowed me to be there for a period, a period of time until... They were driving home one night from a play and they saw an ad on, a, on, a, on like a telephone pole for like commercial condos. And we ended up buying one in 2007, November, we closed. And then May 2008, we actually finished. My dad's an architect. He helped me to do the plans. And uh, I was a 22-year-old with a massive mortgage. I, you know, I was ready to, to continue my catering career.
0: So, but that's when, that's the best time to do it when you're 22 years old. Oh, agreed.
1: I totally, because I was like, I, ha- I could totally afford to fail. And I was kind of naive and stupid enough to think like, now I'd be like, oh my God, what about this? What about that? I'd have all these fears. And back then I was like, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll be fine. I didn't know about insurance. I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about anything.
0: No idea. So you grew into a six figure business out of your parents' garage.
1: Yeah.
0: And that was considered a small business. Yeah. Okay, so when did it become a little bit bigger?
1: So I think that we really, when you ask when did we become like a big business, I think what it really would define us, and this is what kind of defines us today and unique in our market, is the level of of venues that we have. I started getting some venue relationships pretty early on with two venues, one the Capitol Theater in Porchester and the other one the Loading Dock in Stanford. And we kind of had exclusive or semi-exclusive relationships with them. That kind of catapulted us because we had this this foothold and this consistent business with relatively large events, and it also I think brought us a, a serious level of legit legitimacy. And now today we have over ten exclusive venues that we work with, or that we have exclusive catering contracts with, or we operate, or we own, or whatever it is. So I think that's what's really transformed our business is the you know the venue side of it.
0: Yeah, this so. is the part that confuses me. You have. Relationships with venues you own some venues yep. or you run them yep. or lease you...
1: some venues own so you really in yeah.
0: the real estate business as well as catering business right
1: definitely in the real estate business for sure yeah now, it, I, I'm in the catering business yes, but a lot of what's what where the success has come from has been the real estate for sure too right the way I
0: heard about the way I heard about you is that a client called me and booked me for Hudson Loft. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Oh my God. I used to live at everything. This is great. I, I, I know exactly where yeah, you place beautiful. is. And, and by the way, they ended up canceling
1: their wedding. You've been dealing with a lot of that. I've been
0: dealing with a lot of, a lot of rescheduling, okay. but not canceling.
1: Yeah. We're dealing with both. I mean, the bar mitzvahs are, are, you know, it depends on when they were, you know, if you were in like April and depends on how positive you are. We have people who are in march and april who rescheduled to june and they rescheduled to september mm. and then they're just like you know what? i'm not rescheduling again when the reality is they should have went from june to june meaning they should have went from june 2020 to june 2021 right. and they would have been fine but they decided to go from june 2020 to, to september 2020 and think that that would do anything it's and not gonna happen the reality is probably not right. going to and you know those people are gonna so we're gonna september is gonna be interesting <laughs>
0: so.
1: Um, We can have a whole podcast about that if you want. Oh,
0: I know. I know. And (laughs) and it's funny. I always start every conversation by saying, the only reason I am not in your kitchen hanging out with you now with two microphones looking at each other, having a cup of tea or whatever, is because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And we literally cannot have more than 10 people in a room at the same time. It's against the law. In New York, I don't know what it is in Connecticut, but every state is a little different.
1: It's starting to free up.
0: That's brutal, but that's the on the real estate part. That's got to be
1: brutal financially. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky with some of our landlords, and we're trying to like make things work, you know, where we can. Like, you know, we've been really good tenants, and every time I look at these relationships, and I'm very clear with them, it's a partnership because a lot of them are strategic partnerships. I mean, every deal is different.
0: Like, give me an so, example. Like Hudson Loft.
1: Well, Hudson Loft is a straight lease deal. We took over the business and pay the rent. And that's actually probably the most straightforward of the relationships. Oh, so basically
0: that's your house. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But some of them are, you know, a strategic partnership where it's a nonprofit and we provide some level of value and consideration for the opportunity to be their caterer. Again, it's a partnership in the sense that there's a lot that it's just, you know, they need help. We're just there. An appreciation dinner for donors. And we just, it's just, it's on the house. You know, there's a lot... (laughs) That we I see. Give. Okay. I've bought tons of equipment for all these places. But give and take. If somebody on their staff isn't there to do walkthroughs, we do walkthroughs. You know, some of them we do everything. Like it's the deal side of like, how do we make it work? Yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. are their barriers to entry, and how do we overcome them? So,
0: is there a role model for what you're doing, or are you the trendsetter in doing this?
1: I mean, I know, for example, like Jeffrey Miller in Philadelphia has like 16 venues or something like that like he has a lot of venues i think it's hard in places like new york city where the real estate is really expensive and there's a ton of competition certainly in our market we're a leader from the venue side
0: so how'd you go from from the theater and the the
1: wharf uh, the in, the in, the the in long wharf oh so we had to so be the loading dock in stanford bound the launcher my partner, Rory Taggart, took it out of bankruptcy like 33, 34 years ago. And then in 2014, they were looking to kind of jazz it up a little bit and, and upgrade the food experience. So he brought me on and it became the Longshore by the Mark. And we put in one of our executive sous chefs and took over the food program. And then from that, we did the, the Longshore Pavilion, which is in Norwalk. And we have a tent on the water that we do events at too, which right now has been People have a lot of interest in just because it's outside and socially distanced.
0: How many actual employees do you have on? Forget pandemically sure. speaking.
1: So on the mark had about twenty-two full-time employees. At Longshore, we had I think about another twenty-four part-time. We probably had about four hundred part-time employees. That's oh, more on wow. the cater waiter, cater chef side. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean it was pretty strong group of of talented people working really yeah. hard to make this happen so i'm very lucky i tell them all the time how lucky i am to have these people but a lot of people have been with me for you know seven years ten years and they've grown with me and and i've grown with them
0: it's really evolved into the, a corporation yeah you know with a lot of tentacles
1: yeah we built out corporate structure which has actually been a little more difficult for us in this period of time because again like if, if i was who i was in 2007 this would be pretty easy to get through because I'd be by myself in my station wagon and we'd be great.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, but like now we had four people on marketing and social media, you know, yeah, yeah. like it's <laughs> a lot more overhead. So tell me about crave when this whole thing happened. I'm, I'm very much somebody like I, I need to t- at least try, you know, to figure out what's the next, what are we doing next? How are we going to, well, I'm not going to stop. Right. So, uh, crave was our you know, four days from, uh, conception to execution uh, food delivery business that was conceptualized when we realized there was not gonna be events for a while. And so we built out this delivery business model where we delivered Saturdays and Wednesdays and you had to have your order in basically three days beforehand. So it was almost like the catering model adapted to delivery. Catering model being that we knew exactly how much food to make and who was getting what with enough notice that we wouldn't be buying tons of food and having it in the fridge and just hoping somebody orders it. Okay. And it was done and it was it was successful in paying for the staff and paying for the food and just trying to buy some time to see where this was all going to go. And then once the restaurants started opening up, we had to really adapt it to the changing times. It was a very high touch food delivery service. Right. So, I mean, you know, the idea was back in March, you knew you were going to be home all week. Chances are you had children or parents or somebody staying with you. You didn't really wanna leave the house. It was questionable whether or not the supply chain was gonna have issues. So people were just looking for an option to eat. And we got unbelievable feedback from our customers. Like, we can't thank you enough for doing this. It's the one thing we look forward to. It was just super gratifying. It was really helpful for us as a team because we all got to focus our energy on like building this really young and exciting. It's very exciting when you have a business in its infancy. And I remember the first time, like Shopify, you know, make, it makes a cha-ching sound every time oh, you really? get a sale. Yeah. And it was very cool to like, see this, this like infant business grow from, you know, an idea four days later, you know, our, we have a, an incredibly talented IT guy, Harry, who's a part of full-time member of the team does all of our work and actually him and I are building out a. Staffing application called Quick Shift, which is very interesting. But, anyway, him and Joy and Caitlin worked tirelessly to get this website going in a very short order. And I think we, because we were so quick to market, I think we did pretty well.
0: And it only started out of necessity because of the pandemic. And you realize quickly, you realize quickly, this is. This is not going to go fast. A hundred percent.
1: Not only was it born out of necessity, but like it was something that I guess I've always been somewhat vehemently against because I'm a chef and an artist first, and I've always been afraid of delivery because I can't control the execution. Right. And so like, you know, I can make this amazing food, stick it in a container, give it to you, and then you can microwave it for 20 <laughs> seconds too long. And all of a sudden it's rubber. Right. Exactly. All yeah. my hard work is gone. And then you say to yourself, huh, you know, they call themselves on the mark. This really wasn't that good. And I heard all so many great things. but I'm really not that impressed. And so we've been very careful to, I always say, know what you don't know. Like I know that I don't know anything about delivery food. Like for example, some of our, our proteins for our delivery was done sous vide. And so we deliver it in the bag and we give them a temperature to cook it to. And we would try to, mimic the pickup that we, would did, that we would do in the field mm-hmm. for a catered event.
0: As idiot-proof as possible.
1: Yeah. And also easy, right? I mean, we have customers who, you know, they're busy and we want to respect their time and they want to be able to open up the bag and eat it.
0: Something amazing. Yeah.
1: Easy to facilitate. Yeah, That is exactly. so
0: cool. All right. So now you just mentioned uh, staffing. Yep. I'm getting you at the right time. You're about to take over the world. Well, I don't know. <laughs> The nice thing about it is that from your parents' garage to the first commercial condo, everything grew out of the tentacles of something that was intrinsically important to the business. And so when you started doing real estate, it was because you knew that you had to have houses or you had to have places that you could go to that you could call your own, right? Yeah. And now when you're doing staffing, I'm assuming it's because you've grown to such a point where you say, I want to be able to control the end product.
1: Yeah. We couldn't find a staffing application that did exactly what we wanted it to do. So we just said, well, why don't we just build one?
0: Now, when you say application.
1: Yeah, like like a program, like a website slash application that called QuickShift. That It was really just designed to be like our own proprietary software. And then it was so robust. We were like, well, we might as well market it at this point because it's its own living product and it should stand on its own two feet.
0: So now you're in the tech world too. <laughs>
1: I guess. Yeah. I mean, is kind of how (laughs) life happens, right? Like, you know, just like, like one thing leads to another. It's a great story
0: yeah as someone looking at it as a stranger looking at it for the first time i see all where the tentacles are going and you might not even realized i don't even oh, yeah. know
1: where all the tentacles are going they're just there's tentacles out there and, <laughs> yeah you know, they're I'm
0: just trying,
1: going i'm just trying to keep it all together but you have yeah. to keep
0: bringing people new on board right if you develop an app you have to have someone
1: market it and sell it and- yeah so i look at my relationship with my staff i want to help them reach their potential they help me reach my potential mm-hmm. and so if we have, I mean, Joy, for example, has been helping us with shift because she's interested in it. She loves sales and, you know, she's very well connected. And so if there's an opportunity for me to help people who are, are close to me first, I'm going to try to do that. And then the next is I have to all expand out of that. But I've been lucky to be around a lot of people who are always looking to grow themselves. So as the company grows, they grow and the opportunities for them to grow, become more available. So.
0: Wow. so. You're the head of the octopus and all these tentacles are growing out.
1: I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm the head of the octopus.
0: (laughs) So, do you think you'll also eventually have like an an actual staffing business per se?
1: We're working on it. I wouldn't want to have a staffing app, a staffing business. I have a ton ton of respect for anybody who runs a staffing business. I would want to supply their software. uh, But
0: you got to listen to Bill's podcast because he literally says the hardest job is the staffing guy
1: 100 120 that's the hardest job and it's the hardest part of running a business is finding the right people to fill the roster and i care immensely for my employees and you know providing them with a job that provides them the fulfillment makes them happy and gives them a great place to work they want to stay
0: The great example he gave is that most of the best waiters are models or actors. And if someone has a choice between the callback for the new Bradley Cooper movie, they're going to blow off their shift. But if you've developed a relationship with that person, you understand that. You know it. You know that that's part of it. But that doesn't make it any easier for the person who's sitting behind the desk saying,
1: oh, my God. I had to stack this role three times. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
0: and this might just be a callback of 10 callbacks and right and you have to scramble and get someone as good as that person yep
1: in, in three hours yep now bill's nailed it that's a very difficult job talent talent manager
0: yeah yeah when i was talking about the hierarchies it's
1: by yeah. far the hardest job yeah. you can create a great impact but yeah sometimes it can also be probably very thankless because you know, everybody's, why did you send this guy? Why did you send that guy? You know, and nobody really understands that that wasn't your, your intention. But the, yeah. th- the three other people you staffed into that role all canceled on you and you had to get this last person. You know, it's just a very difficult position to be in, for sure.
0: Do you ever miss cooking or do you get a chance to cook? Um, do you-
1: I do miss cooking. I miss, um, I don't know how to say this. I not got a little more complicated, Right. <laughs> Because there's like a lot of moving parts now, right? So Oh, we, oh yeah, listen, you're a businessman. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of volume. And so I love chess, right? And this is like one big game of chess, but a lot less variables when it was just me and my station wagon. It was like, it was physically more demanding because if I needed something moved, I was the only guy to move it. If I needed something packed or washed or cleaned, there was just me now physically it's a little less demanding because i'm so lucky to have this incredible team of people around me but mentally it's a little bit more draining so yeah i mean i, I get to cook i've been cooking. i just got a pizza oven at my house and i've been like spending a lot of time with it um and it was my dream to always have a pizza oven in my house and i bought a, we bought a pizza trailer for work and i kind of Struck a deal to have one in my house too, so it was like a two for one kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But it's incredibly technical, and I truly enjoy the challenge of like working with the wood and the fire and understanding hot spots and when to stoke the fire and when to get it down. And that's been really cool. I cook at some of the bigger parties. I cook on some of our bigger days if we have seven or eight large you know events going on at the same time. Oh, you will Um,
0: go. You will. On the oh, for
1: sure. I love okay. it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I will blow the truck. I will wash the dishes. I will scrub the floors. I am right next to my team always. So, really? I, you know, who wants to work for the person who everybody's killing themselves for you and you're not there next to them, you know? So for me, it's like, you know, I do my best when possible because a lot of times I'm pulled in a lot of directions, but like to be there and to let them know that I'm, I'm happy right there with them.
0: Yeah. No, I love what you said. You know, I'll wash dishes. Out.
1: Wash dishes is great because you don't know, have to think about it. It's not stressful. Like, and you know, I get to sit there and I'm cleaning, and I don't get to do it very often <laughs> generally because, I'm, again, I'm being pulled in a lot of directions, but yeah, yeah. it's very mindless work.
0: And you know what's great is that starting so young, there's probably not a job in the industry that you haven't done, starting from cooking to, to being a chef. Yeah you have been the guy that washed the dishes you have been the guy that brought the food up to somebody's room just picturing a 20 year old kid carrying two suitcases full of pots you know into someone's kitchen is is, is so great you can feel for all your employees because you've been there yep you're not asking them to do anything that you don't understand what goes into it
1: we talk about frequently you know when we talk about company culture and like what david beam was saying We've become, you know, we continue to get more progressive and we want to always make sure that we're providing flexibility for our employees. But at the same time, like the behavior that got us to where we are, do we have a responsibility to maintain that? You know, so when we talk about, for example, not working certain holidays as an employee benefit. Well, we all worked, all these staff members who are helping me make these decisions in order to help grow the company are all people who gave up every Thanksgiving to work with me over the last 10 years because that's what it means to be part of the team. And I'm right there on Thanksgiving working with them. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting what defines the company. And, but I think that, you know, really the teamwork and the people, and I say this all the time, like without my people, we're just four walls.
0: This florist I was just telling you about in Beverly Hills, who I said, what would you say was the key to your success? She says, my team, she says I have nothing without my team.
1: Yeah. Anybody successful needs to realize that I you can't take all the credit. If anybody ever tries to tell me how great we are, the first thing I say is, I have a great team, you know, because that's yeah. just how I feel.
0: Someone was yeah. telling me a story that, that they were in the kitchen and something fell or something dropped, something had to be swept up. And she had asked one of her employees, couldn't you pick that up? And she says, that's not my job. And she says, that's oh. right. It's not your job. <laughs> Goodbye. Go home. <laughs> that is not your job. Congratulations. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. So you have kids?
1: Yep, I have a uh, six-year-old son, Ethan, and a twenty-two-month-old daughter, Ella. Oh
0: wow, that's great! Twenty-two months—that's <laughs> that's rude. It...
1: Yeah, I'm in mean, the process. I was up. I was up like four times last night. We're sleep training her, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm seem to be her uh, comfort pillow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Very interesting. Four o'clock in the morning. I was like, just please go to bed. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I. I tend to notice things you know that's kind of like what no owner does for better or for worse and i i know that sometimes i might like cloud the soup a little bit so i know i know (laughs) when to just like leave out the back door they need me if if something's missing i'll rerun it i'm happy to like do whatever but um once the event starts sometimes i think i might make them a little nervous or make people you know doubt themselves or whatever so it depends on the event. If they're like, Mark, we got this, we're super solid, you know, I feel totally good. I'm like, okay, great. They're like,
0: right. you know,
1: four waiters didn't show and two cooks burnt themselves and one's in the hospital, you know, like well, I'm <laughs> there. You know, I'm there the whole night and we're, yeah, and we're yeah. in it together, right? But like no none of us like to be bored. I think everybody who's in this industry needs the fast paced onslaught of stimulus. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. it's happening, right? And you know, and also you need one chief, and they have to be able to make decisions. Right. My my staff knows when they call me, but for the most part, you know, I try to make sure they are empowered and they understand that you know we're gonna do whatever we have to to provide a successful event, and whatever right. we have to do, we have to do. So you know, if that means that the sushi didn't show up, and we have to order five hundred dollars of sushi from the place down the street, and whatever. You know, I mean, I'm just <laughs> yeah, I know it's a are. random example, right. but yeah. I know what you're talking about. But I, that's actually my favorite part. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but like those random occurrences that need problem solving, I, I very much enjoy problem solving. So,
0: It's uh, very funny. I could see that. You're yeah. Like your eyes light up. You're immediately smiling when it's like you think of like, oh my God, well, two chefs burned themselves and three of them didn't show up. So I had to jump in. You know, it's like,
1: okay, what can I do? Yeah, the oven's broken. I mean, we... We did a uh, we catered a party for a friend a friend and he's, he actually is a, a really successful tent company and we brought the oven up there the night before and it got wet the oven wasn't working none of our equipment was working my chef's wife had to go to the hospital so he wasn't oh. there we were supposed to be there together the truck didn't show up on time like they literally had no idea the party ended and he's like oh my god the food was amazing I was like you and I I mean I, we heated up everything on the camp stove it was the most re- insane pickup ever. And we did it, and you know the the, the gym couldn't get us rental ovens. You know, like there was no way to get it there. We were up, we were somewhere, in, uh, we were in Hudson Valley. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it happened, and you know no, nobody was the wiser. And so like you made it, it work. Was, yeah. And some people could look at that and be like, I'll never do this again. And some people were <laughs> that like me, and it's like that was awesome. You know, That's I, wouldn't, great. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that to happen. I wouldn't put myself. I
0: wouldn't want that again. as a business model.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, we do everything we can, and, and every time something. Bad that happens we're always putting in systems to prevent it um, right which is why mm-hmm. when we pack a 10-person party now it takes an entire truck as opposed to my old station wagon because there's so many boxes of backups and emergency kits and cleanup kits and all these things that we've learned over the years of what we need and guarantee the what-if scenarios but in those chances where the oven is just unfunctional and you have no way to think fig- you have to just figure it out and yeah. they don't
0: know that you did this entire five star restaurant quality stuff on a on a campfire
1: <laughs> I camp so literally I mean, these were all event planners and things too, because they were in the event business. Oh, you're so,
0: kidding yeah, and they never knew no no idea until I told them <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you literally there are like at least like five tentacles at least that you've discussed you know now that that you just wear because they grew out, you know, naturally. It's not like you said, okay, I'm. I'm also going to buy a minor league soccer team.
1: Totally, but the other thing is just interesting is that, like to get those tentacles. I probably looked at like 200 deals, and then, and that's why I go back to like being in, you know, in 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 college and you know, NYIT, and you look at all these opportunities that present themselves. Right. There were restaurant opportunities. There were. Delivery catering opportunities, I mean, there's all these other opportunities that presented themselves, other venues. And you asked me like, did you know where you wanted to go? And I would never have said when I was 21 years old that I want to be a caterer with a significant foothold of venues in Fairfield County. <laughs> you know, like I never would have come out of my mouth as like my desired business plan, I, you know? It was no never would plan. have thought about Like it. Just figuring it out, yeah. yeah.
0: But the great thing is that you're open to everything and you yeah. analyzed everything and you, and you made smart moves. So far. <laughs> so yeah, far. Thanks. <laughs> so, when, all right, so what is, is there a big fear that some Disney, you know, some gigantic company is going to come in and Spotify is going to buy on the mark. For- I wouldn't
1: be fearful of that, but I could be wrong. But I, when you look at the best hospitality businesses, right. their owner operators, I mean, there's very few, chains that like is able to manufacture incredible experiences in all their locations mm-hmm. but i don't see it happening like when i get on the phone with some of my customers and i've been working with them for the last 12 years i know exactly what their house looks like i know exactly what their kids eat i know where their china is i know the drinks they like we are able to service them in a way that like i mean yes theoretically maybe you could digitize all that maybe you could say like take pictures yeah. of it yeah, but there's still a personal touch that ha- that they have with both myself, with my employees, and everybody who works here. And I think when you're providing hospitality at the level that we try to provide hospitality, I don't see it being institutionalized very easily. I mean, you look at institutional catering; yeah, it doesn't feel personal, right? right? It feels institutional. That's what it is. So, like, and what's so funny is even um,
0: listening to the almost solemnity in the the tone of both of our voices it's like the passion the fun has gone out of it it. institutionalization it's all
1: spreadsheets yeah yeah and like how do you how do you dumb it down and make it easy to do but what we do is just it's not easy no it's very difficult and anybody who's at the top of this business and there's a lot of brilliant minds in this business are constantly looking to saying okay things are great how can i Tear it all apart <laughs> and then rebuild it to make it better. Like that's really what yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, the, David Beams, that anybody who's at the top of this business, it's you're constantly looking at. Okay, I, I'm doing great. The world's awesome. You know, like business is good. Okay, well, if I just keep doing the same thing, somebody else is going to figure out the new, the new best thing. So I need to tear it apart and try to rebuild it and make it better. So I, I do think that there's some level of like you keep pushing, and I don't I also. You know and being inventive
0: so you're literally reading my mind that's that's what i'm trying to literally what i'm trying to do that's what you're doing yeah yeah
1: how do you reinvent yourself yeah exactly
0: totally. yeah and if you asked me how i couldn't really explain it but
1: well this I'm is doing it great this is a great way that you're doing yeah. it yeah you're doing yeah. It. Yeah. And totally. I didn't know who Doug Winters was before this podcast. Right. Despite the fact that you've been to our venues, which I should have known. And I'm sorry. I no, that it's totally to understandable.
0: <laughs> it's, I've never been the house band anywhere, you know, because right. I, I didn't have 10 bands. I'm not, you know, a big sure. company. So, you know, I can't really service that. So, yeah. But I've been everywhere. I've been at the pier a couple of hundred times. I've been to every one of the Chippriannis. Wow. I've been every, you know, I don't think there's a place between Boston and, DC that I haven't played at least once. Wow. It's like you said, you know, it's all about relationships. Totally. Well, Mark Weber, thank you so much for this. It means a great deal to me. It really does. For so many amazing wow, things think. about you. And when do I get my book and. Crave? No, Beginnings.
1: Send me your address and it'll be in the mail. <laughs>
0: Okay, you got it. Throw in a t shirt. Sign. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, sign. You got it. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Yeah, my
1: pleasure. Nice Thanks for having me
0: let's stay in touch
1: I'd love to okay, okay. bye-bye
0: take care bye bye-bye. I told you the man was a true force of nature I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did truly if you want to follow Mark he is at on the mark events on Instagram and I as always am at Doug Winters Inc on Instagram and my website is at Doug Winters Music please 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 stay safe keep wearing masks We've all got a whole lot of partying to do in 2021. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you next Monday. Bye-bye now.